I think every playmaker listening to us right now should remember that encouragement is oxygen for the soul. Uh, what is one person that after you hear everything we're talking about, you can go and encourage them via text, via video, via a call. It's oxygen for the soul. Welcome to Playmakers. I'm your host, Paul Epstein, 15-year NFL and NBA business exec, widely known as the 49ers Y coach. Now, your coach. Join me on this journey from why to purpose to impact. The key to it all, taking action. Prepare to get tactical as our guests share their daily playbook where purpose no longer has to be a distant North Star. It can become a 365 way of life. Let's go. Playmakers, it's about that time to welcome Simon T. Bailey into the conversation. Simon's purpose in life is to help you discover your brilliance. Through motivational speeches of which he's received Hall of Fame accolades, direct one-on-one success coaching, nine personal and professional development books, including a number of bestsellers, a national TV talk show program, and a viral video with over 90 million views. Let's just say Simon has also discovered his own brilliance. His framework is based on his 30 years experience in the hospitality industry, including serving as sales director for the Disney Institute. His client roster now includes Salesforce, Stanford Healthcare, General Mills, and Hilton Hotels, just to name a few. A true treasure trove of knowledge, wisdom, and inspiration. This is one of those conversations you're going to want to listen to again and again. So get your notepads ready, and let's welcome Simon Bailey into the Playmakers podcast. Simon, welcome to Playmakers. How are we doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, we are so grateful, so honored, so blessed. And you know, this is Playmakers on purpose. Of course, we're going to come back to purpose because that's why we're all here. But Simon, the other cool thing is we're not going to double click on Disney just yet, but you were a sales director there. I was a sales director in the NFL. So maybe you and I could share some war stories at some point about being a part of some cool brands, in your case, some magical brands on that side. So we'll, we'll reverse back. But where I want to kick us off is you had a viral video, my friend, uh, a humble 90 million views, no big deal, uh, inspired a movement and for the playmakers in our community that may not be familiar with the backstory, would love for you to tell us what happened before you set foot on those stage and inspired with those words, because I know there's one heck of a backstory. So Madison, my daughter, came into my home office one day and she said, hey, daddy, I said, hey, baby girl. And I sensed she wanted to talk, but I was emotionally unavailable. I was uh, in between trips, packing. And she said, well, daddy, I see you're busy. I'll just come back later. And I said, OK. And it hit me on the plane that I missed a moment to connect with my daughter. So when I came back home off the road, I said, Madison, you wanted to talk to me the other day. And she said, Dad, it's OK. I said, no, it's not OK, because if I don't change my behavior, you're going to marry a joker just like me. And her mother said to me, uh, you give everybody the best of you, but you give us the rest of you. And I don't want the leftovers anymore. And after 25 years of being married, we went through a divorce because I was emotionally clueless. And I was modeling something for her brother that it was okay to be emotionally distant. So that's what led to that story. Got it. So it, you called it emotional distance. So let's say there's a playmaker listening in right now that whether in this case with a child, it could be with a spouse, it could be with a friend, it could be uh, with somebody else, but they, they're feeling a gap 
There's this gap of emotional distance. What's the first thing that you would advise that person to do if that is how they're feeling? Number one, be emotionally aware as to what your distancing may be doing to the other person and call it out. Say, you know what? There's a disconnect here and I've looked in the mirror and I'm the person that's got to deal with this. That's number one. And then number two, ask, what can I do to close that gap of being emotionally distant? And it's just starting there. Yeah, no, I, I love it. And we're all about keeping it simple, kind of the ABCs of life. I don't think we need to overcomplicate this. Sure, you would agree with that. But as I think about our community, and look, it's been uh, an interesting couple of years if I want to be polite about it. <laughs> so, of course, we have a pandemic. Then, of course, you have social injustice. You have all these things that some are global, some are, and now we're headed into an economic recession if we're not even already in it. And so, uncertainty is all around. And we were talking off air about the, the difference between scarcity versus abundance. And I think that brings us to a place where maybe there's a lot of folks listening in that could have a sense of uncertainty or fear, or there's risk that whether real or perceived risk is risk. But you have a, a story about how you went from, and you've shared a bit of it, losing it all to regaining everything that had meaning. And so as one example, and I'll let you pick up from here, but where you say, I had a house, but I lost the home. And there's several ways that you kind of go back and forth. So just to connect deeper with our playmakers, would love to get a sense of not only your backstory, but how we can apply the insights today. Yeah, I had a house, but lost a home, was chasing money, but had no meaning. I was pursuing power, but had no purpose. And what I really began to do is I went to therapy. And no guy wants to go and sit with a therapist named Anita, who's been practicing for 40 years and has more degrees than a thermostat. <laughs> and, and here's what she said, Paul. She said, whatever you don't deal with will eventually deal with you. Hearts. It was like, like, what are you saying? Right? No, no type driven personality wants to hear this. And what I recognized, I needed to slow down and make the main thing, the main thing, number one, family. Number two, I needed to do my work. I needed to get over low self-esteem, low self-worth. I'm always having to be in control, always having to be right. The smartest person in the room. And I had to get reintroduced to humility uh, to really understand releasing the need to be right. So when I really begin to lean into that, what I realized, oh my God, yeah, it's nice to have the 6,000 square foot house and the Range Rover and vacations in Singapore and Hong Kong. So what if you lose your family in the process? What does it really matter? So now my number one goal is I want to be a better dad and a better husband, a better human being. I got remarried not too long ago. And that's what's really important to me because it makes no sense if I show up on stage to say whatever and my house is jacked up. Like, I mean, I have no, I have no worth. I have no value. Like nothing I will say will mean anything. So, so that's kind of the journey for me. Yeah. So if somebody is feeling stuck or in your case, you talked about alignment. And you were misaligned. Now it, it sounds, feels, and knowing you the way I know you, I, I believe that your level of alignment is has skyrocketed versus those darker chapters. But now hear you speak to us today aligned. And I know, brother, it's a daily battle to stay aligned. This ain't easy. Just because you're aligned today, there ain't no guarantees for tomorrow. You have to be disciplined, intentional, aware, 
all of that. But if somebody's listening in and maybe they do feel misaligned, you talked about, in one case, a therapist. My, my question to you is, should we always involve, whether a therapist or somebody else, should somebody else always be involved in a process when we feel broken or misaligned? Or are some of the answers inside of us and we could just personally reflect, personally go inside? Like, is it ever a solo act or should we always be including somebody else? So I would say yes and yes. Uh, first of all, I'm big on therapy. But if you say, you know what, I'm not ready for therapy. Do you have a trusted friend who will not blow smoke up your leg, that will not judge you? that you can just talk things through, not looking for them to fix anything, but to just be a mirror to reflect back to, I hear you, I understand, have you thought about this perspective? And and what that friend does, they're just supporting you where you are, right? Um, But I think to find the answer within. So in in full transparency, about a week ago, I was having a moment. I mean, not not a meltdown, but I was like, man, you know, why am I doing this? I've been doing this 20 years and da, 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 just all in my head. And I got quiet and I've been journaling for 20 years and I went back through some of my journals and all of a sudden I begin to reinvigorate myself from the inside out. Didn't lean into the fear but began to lean into hope, right? Hope is a superpower. And I said, okay. And then I happened to get a call or text from someone who said, I heard, I saw, I read, and here's what your work has done for me. And it was just literally like somebody breathed life. So I had to encourage myself, root word, courage, encourage, right? And when I begin to encourage myself, I literally shut down whatever I was feeling and I said, okay, this is why we do what we do. So beautiful because you even said the root word and it took me to a place of, and you also said, breathe life. So I'm sure you know this, Simon, because we're just, <laughs> hey man, we're trying to do big things out there and create some impact. But with the way that I know the Latin definition of inspire to be, and again, you probably know this, but for all playmakers, the Latin definition of inspire is to breathe life into. So think about that. Like that's part of our profession. I I consider it a calling, but for everybody out there each day, each moment, either A, we can be breathing life in others or B, when maybe we may be feeling lifeless, that's our opportunity to invite others to breathe life into us. So that's a really cool place that you brought us, Simon. I think every playmaker listening to us right now should remember that encouragement is oxygen for the soul. Uh, what is one person that after you hear everything we're talking about, you can go and encourage them via text, via video, via a call. It's oxygen for the soul. Yes, 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 yes. Purpose. Let's define it. And then I want you to talk to us about the difference between should we be trying to find it or should we be trying to live it? So have at it, man. Just talk to us about purpose. Purpose is serving with no strings attached. Purpose is going above and beyond, not because you have to, but because you want to. Uh, Purpose is understanding the difference between a job and an assignment. A job stands for just overboard. But when you are assigned to serve in purpose, it's not about what you're getting, but it's about what you're discovering as you are becoming a better human being. Mm, so good. Well, define uh, or hit me again with the uh, the job piece. It stands for 
Yeah, job stands for just over board. And, and let me tell you why I say just over board. So, you know, the meme has been flying around quiet quitting, right? And I'm like, I was just going to go there. Yes, talk to us. Yeah. yeah. It's a quiet quitting. You're at a job, you're not at an assignment. Because when you're at an assignment, time ceases to exist because you're in flow. When you're in flow, you literally have the alignment of head, heart, and hands. Rabbi Harold Kushner talks about emotional congruence. When Rabbi says you're in congruence, you are totally in the zone. So quiet quitting, you are literally uh, have settled for a chair, a check, and a cup of coffee in cubicle farm. That's a job. That's why you're quietly quitting. Uh, Don't get me started. Uh. Oh my gosh. Okay. All right. Okay. This is now we're getting all these crazy turns. I love this. We're going to come back to quiet quitting. Simon, no joke. And I know you don't know this because it is not public yet. Literally, I'm about mm, football field wise. I'm at the five yard line of finishing my second book. The title, Better Decisions Faster, but the subtitle connects to what you just said. Subtitle, Mastering the Head Heart Hands Equation. Literally, dude. Literally, bro. That yeah, he's raising the roof for those of you listening on audio. I love it, man. I love it. So, all right, we may come back there, but quiet quitting. So, if I'm listening in, and if I'm being honest, uh, I'm in a state of quiet quitting right now. Like, what, what do I do? How would you advise somebody that if they're being super, super vulnerable and authentic, they've kind of quietly quit? Yeah. So think about what you do right now. There's three things that you're responsible for. Brilliance, energy, and time. You invest your brilliance in an organization or business. You invest that energy and that time. Here's the deal. Ask yourself every hour, make every hour your employee and say, is this the highest and best use of my time? Am I busy or am I effective? Every hour that you are working and investing your brilliance, your energy and time, hold yourself accountable. It's not the business responsibility to tap you on the shoulder when you say, wait a minute, this is not the highest and best use of my time. How do I become more effective? Yes. Yes. Yeah. A good friend, Scott O'Neill. I don't know if you know, I'm a author of Be Where Your Feet Are. He's a sports business. I consider him on the Mount Rushmore in terms of leadership and culture. He, so it's public. He got fired from being the president of Madison Square Garden. And he said that his number one learning from that chapter, which was far from his last, was I learned that, that I learned the difference between being effective and being right. And he said, this whole time I was obsessed with being right when all I needed to do was focus on being effective. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, lot, lot of truth and a lot of connection. So Simon, as I see your purpose, and I'm going to read this out and then hit you with a few questions on it. Simon's purpose is to spark listeners to lead countries, companies, and communities differently. So my two questions to you are, Simon, if that's the case, how are we leading today and how should we be leading differently? Yeah. So with everything happening in the world, what I've discovered, some people are leading from a place of fear uncertainty, hopelessness. And here's the reality. A helpless leader is a hopeless leader, but a helpful leader is a hopeful leader. So where we need to shift to is how do we begin to spark hopeful, empathetic leadership with accountability and empathetic leadership with accountability. I have to marry those two together because yes, I need to walk a mile in your shoes. But at the end of the day, 
We have a business to run. We have a country to lead. We have something that we have to do. And we have to be accountable for what we say and how we show up. So how do we spark empathetic leadership and thinking? You just said the S word, not the one that everyone's thinking, but the spark word. All right. You, you say the word spark. That, that's part of your ethos. What, what does it mean? Why is it so important to you? Oh, my goodness. Years ago, I didn't have a spark. I know that's hard to believe all the playmakers listening, <laughs> right? But here's what I discovered. When you find your spark, you find your joy. When you find your joy, you find your voice. And when you find your voice, you find your freedom because you recognize I don't have to be in your swim lane because when I find my freedom, I find my voice, I find my joy. There's not enough money in the universe to pay me how much I'm worth because I don't chase money. Money chases me because it started with the spark of understanding what so many have called when you find the essence of you, right? You find the thing that makes you live from the inside out instead of from the outside in. Ah, so, so good. I love this. All right. So as a proud parent, which you are, I've heard you in other conversations and this is all coming together now. You've, uh, we could call it the career advice, the, career, the big question, the million dollar question of, so what do you want to do with the rest of your life? But I've heard you in other conversations challenge that to say maybe there's a better question. And this is all connected, folks. So just tune in. What is the question that we should be asking rather than what do you want to do with the rest of your life? What problem have I been created to solve? Because when you ask that question, that takes you down the vortex a little bit deeper to say, wait a minute, if I don't get a do over and this is not a dress rehearsal, right? Uh, how do I make sure I maximize this moment? What problem have I been created to solve? John Mason, his book called An Enemy Called Average, says most people are born originals, but they die copies because they never Ooh, hit. Oh, hit us with that again, Simon. Hit us with that again. Yeah, John Mason's book, Enemy Called Average, he says, most people are born originals, but they die copies because they never solved a problem. They just did what everybody else was doing. What if I don't know what problem I want to solve? Common question. So what irks the fire out of you? What gets on your last nerve when you are driving down the street, walking down the street in a public place or even at home? What just absolutely gets in your craw? Could that be a sign that you're supposed to solve that problem? Or when you see something working really well and you're like, how did they do that? Can you improve on it? Can you take it to 2.0 or 3.0? That's just a sign that the universe is inviting you to think a little bit deeper. Hi, Playmakers. It's about that time to discover your why. It only takes five minutes, and on the other side, you will better understand who you are, how you think, and why you do what you do. Here's how you get the assessment. Text the word WHY to 310-564-7857. Again, open up a text and send the word WHY to 310-564-7857. For coaching after, DM me for now. Let's get back to the show. Yeah, everybody in Shark Tank noticed a problem in the world. Every entrepreneur said, the current mousetrap does not work for me or for us. 
And so how do I make a bigger, better, faster, stronger version of whatever the product or the service is? I think that's one path. Another couple things that come top of mind is, so we always think about what lights us up. And I love that. Trust me, I'm an optimist. I'm a glass half full guy. But I also, and pardon my French playmakers, I, I think a lot about what pisses me off. I absolutely do. Because if it makes me angry, that fire, if I put a positive light on it, then I can say, what is the solution? And am I obsessed to be a leader within the solution? So we can tackle it from, yes, the plus side, but also you said irks and I maybe use some more colorful language, but I think this is all there. And then maybe the last piece for playmakers, think about work because we often have strong emotions about work for better or worse. So think about your best day at work. Okay. That's one side. Why was it your best day? And I don't mean the trophy. I mean, what led to that special feeling, but then on the opposite side, what's that time you were driving home and said, I hated this day. What made you hate it? What happened that violated a value? Was there something? And usually if you uncover and unwrap it enough, there could be something to say, like in my case, I hated toxic cultures. I unfortunately was a part of a few over the course of decades of a journey, and I became obsessed with detoxifying the toxic, you know? And so you just kind of think about it in that way. And Simon, as we shift gears here, so your most recent book, I mean, uh, at the time we're recording this, a month and a half in, so folks, please pick it up. Well, Simon will share exactly where and how to find it. Ignite the power of women in your life. And this is a guide for men. So talk to us just about the, the ethos, the spirit, what inspired it. So after going to therapy, what I recognized is I had broken relationships with some of the core women of my life. My mother, uh, the mother of my children, then my wife and my daughter. And I had to fix that. And as I started writing, I said, oh, my goodness. Any country, company, community that's going to be worth its salt in the next decade must do right by women. Why? Here's what the research says. 92% of the vacation decisions made by women, 85% of consumer spending controlled by women, 62% of car purchases done by women. The National Hockey League has identified their number one fastest growing demographic. Women, females. So women control seven to twenty trillion dollars of of money, right? So I looked at this and said, "Wait a minute! If we get it right with women, ensuring that they're not marginalized and that they're celebrated rather than tolerated, I don't become less masculine. I don't lose my man card. If anything, I become a better human being because I do right by women in my life." Gosh, that's so so many places to take this. I know you've been talking about women and as I did my research on the book and just started to understand, flip through the whole thing, you do talk about a few significant relationships. So clearly you cover a lot from a female perspective, but you also talked about the significance of relationship with a father. So talk to me about how this all interplays with one another. So my father was an immigrant from Jamaica 60 years ago to the United States, and he never affirmed, validated, said, I loved you. And when I confronted him after the mother of my children said, you've never told our children that you love me. And I said, because my dad never told me. And she said, you may want to do something about that. 
So I'm talking with my dad and he says, I put food on the table, clothes on your back, shelter over your head. That was my way of saying that I loved you. And I said, dad, why didn't you say it? He said, because when his father was eight, his father died and he had to drop out of school to take care of his family as best he could. My eight-year-old then father, right? He since passed, but he said, I cannot give you what I've not received. I cannot do what's not been done. And I cannot be who I've not become. But I said, dad, can you, can you just maybe say, I love you? Because I was looking for validation and affirmation in all the wrong places, all the wrong faces. And I just wanted to know if I matter to my dad and on his dying bed, he says to me, I love you. And I believe in you. And it unlock something in me that I then went to my children and, and even my brothers. So I have three brothers and, you know, guys, Hey, how you doing, man? What's going on, man? You know, conversation short. When my father said, I love you, all of the brothers in our family, we started telling each other, Hey man, I love you. And, and it was so deep and it became a healing moment for us because at least we knew that dad saw us and we didn't need a title a position, a car, or another relationship to know that we belong and that we matter. Mm, So good. And so inspiring the power of what happens when somebody feels seen. I I took that from what you just said. So if I'm uh, a child of Simon Bailey, I feel because of these insights that he sees me And I ask this a little selfishly, Simon, sometimes as always, we ask some selfish questions, but I'm a year and a half into fatherhood myself. So I am literally asking for me slash all of the parents out there listening in right now. What what have you been able to, so aside from, which I think is the most important is that they feel they matter and you see them and you value them, you hear them, you trust them, you respect them, you love them. Like, of course, are there any other things that you have done tactically or just with, with your kids that there was a method to the madness, right? It seems like a tactic, but it was driven by love that you would advise that all parents lean into and take the opportunity to do with their kids. Uh, for the last few Father's Days, I have written them letters on Father's Day, just saying, I am so honored to be your dad. Um, as a newbie father, and congratulations to you. It is, it is such an amazing experience. There's a book I want you to get a hold of called 30 Million Words. It's written by Dr. Dana Suskin. She's a medical doctor at the University of Chicago. And what she has discovered in her research, children uh, up until the age of four that come from well-to-do parents have heard about 45 million words up until four, 45 million words. Children from uh, families that are a bit challenged have only heard 13 million words up until the age of four. And that gap of 32 million words determines their self-esteem, self-worth, who that where they go to school, who they marry, who they become because of the deficit of not um, being hugged with words. Right. So another piece of research, by the time a child is 17 years of age, they have heard no 150,000 times and only yes, 5,000 times. So the ability to begin to take 32 million words and say, am I reading? Am I communicating? Am I validating? Building up their self-efficacy, right? All of a sudden, they grow up because you as a father and the awesome mother that they have 
have spoken life into them. And they don't know why zero to four, why they grow up with such confidence is because it's the little work that you're doing consistently over time. Mm, mm, mm. I love it. I love it. And thank you personally picking up the book. I have heard a bit about that. Yes versus no thing, which is, Oh, it's, it's deflating, but at the same time, inspiring if you choose to do something about it. (laughs) So, so I'm going to focus on the positive here. Going back to your book, you talk about emotional honesty. When I first read those words, I know in fact what they mean, but maybe some of the color and context. Talk to us about what do you mean when you say emotional honesty? So emotional honesty is coming to the place where you say, you know what? I'm wrong and I don't know truly what I don't know. Uh, most women will know that you don't know. They're just waiting for you to admit that you don't know so that they can help you. (laughs) (laughs) So true. And sometimes women won't tell you what you need to hear. They will tell you only what you can handle. So when you come to a place of emotional honesty, you're like, listen, I cry, uncle, help me. That's emotional honesty. Uh, Emotional honesty is walking into a room to listen more and talk less, to understand how am I honoring everyone in this room, not trying to close a deal or to make anything happen. Emotional honesty shows up and says, how do I serve this moment for who I become in the process? A month and a half in, you've collected some data points, which uh, if I know anything about you and being an author myself, it's those, it's the DMs, it's the sidecom, it's the texts, it's, it's not just the public reviews, it's the stuff that maybe it's a little private, but you're like, man, that hit the soul, that hit the soul, and that's what keeps you going. So my question is kind of a two-parter, but it's both ends of the uh, of the coin here. So one is, there were probably some predictable things that you said, if I could measure the impact and this book is to be a success, I believe it's going to do X for people. You expected it and it's come true. So I want you to hit us with that. And then on the flip side, maybe one that surprised you like, man, I did not know this book was going to have this impact on people. So hit us with the more predictable, but reinforcing one and then hit us with a surprise. So I had one guy call me and said, you just saved my marriage. They were on the verge of divorce. And he said, Mm. I now realize what I need to do. Another guy got on a plane, flew from South Carolina to Orlando, Florida, where I live. And he said, I just want to personally thank you because we have been married for 10 years and we were on the rocks and your book gave me hope as to what I need to do. And I'm like, what? I mean, I never saw that coming. I've even heard from women who said they've gotten more out of it in just understanding not how to engage just their spouse or significant other, but working with other women. Uh, And I was like, whoa. And probably the very biggest cool. shock. We've already had about three to four companies that have asked for us to create Ignite the Power of Women in Business. Specifically, what can they do to help men become allies and advocates? So we've already created a six-week course uh, specifically that we're taking uh, into companies. And one of the big companies is out of Silicon Valley. I'm not able to say who they are right now, but they have literally created a reading club around the book. And I was like, Wow. Yes. We didn't, we didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very cool. Very cool. So before we we shift and all these things are connected, but uh, and we'll come back for your overall where can folks find you. But for the book specifically, what's the best way to pick up a copy for Playmakers? 
Yeah, go to ignitethepowerofwomen.com. Okay, great. So, and we'll put it in the show notes. So feel free, hop in. And not only a copy, but sometimes it starts with one, but as soon as you even check it out and you, you see the summary of it and you say, who else in your life could benefit from this? And I, I just love gifting books right out of the gates. And then if you are in a professional role and now you say, hey, this could serve my team, that's kind of the one, two, three approach that I, I think we just need to come from a place of love. If we feel that this is going to have a positive impact in our life and the people around us that matter the most, then place of abundance. So speaking of company, Simon, you worked at one that a couple of us have heard of. I think it's called Disney. Uh, I think you were a sales director there. So the magic, the most magical place on earth. If I were to ask you top insights, if you could boil down a couple points of the type of magic that you experienced there when you reflect back what are your top things? I would probably say, number one, hire for attitude, train for success. Training doesn't fix what management doesn't catch. You know, sometimes organizations and businesses, they can hire people that are more negative than an undeveloped piece of film. So how do you really, <laughs> you know, find a person <laughs> with the right attitude? I think the second big takeaway, uh, Disney calls everyone guests, but for purposes of this conversation, customer service is a department. But customer love is a mindset. It's probably one of the biggest epiphanies I had. Disney is not in the theme park business. They are in the business of creating a magic moment, customer love, that literally hits the head, the heart, and the hands. And when that happens, people become the unofficial marketing department for Disney because of how they feel, not necessarily what they did. So every playmaker listening to us right now, how do you recognize the research says that 70% of human decision-making is emotional, 30% rational. How do we look for that opportunity to emotionally connect? Mm. Give us the percentages again, Simon. 70% of human decision-making, according to Gallup, is emotional, 30% rational. So, so I emotionally buy, then I rationalize why I bought it. <laughs> That, this is so good too, especially writing a book, Better Decisions Faster, that incorporates the how-to of it is the alignment and connection of your head, your heart, and your hands. So Simon, to quickly share it with you, the equation is head plus heart equals hands, meaning if your hands are the action, how do you know what actions to take or not take? When both your head and your heart are on board, that is a green light, proceed with action. When neither is on board, red light, no action. When only one is on board, and this is where a lot of life lies, that's that messy middle of yellow, and you got to solve for the gap. But here's the beauty of the gaps. They're not all created equal. The head gaps, like, hey, my heart is on board, but there's a block in my mind. Maybe it's a self-limiting belief or whatever it is. That's where Simon's given us great perspective about connecting with others, some of the internal work we could do. But what I've researched, Simon, and I'm sure this won't shock you, is very few, if any, heart gaps ever get solved. So a long-term yellow where the heart is not on board is just as deadly as a red. It is just as deadly as a red. And so it's an efficient way to say these are not easy decisions, but it simplifies the complex decisions to say if my heart's not on board, which, which connects to that 70% mark, right? Because we have that lean and that bias and that gut and all of these. So I, I think it's very cool that you connected Disney to where we're going with this. And you mentioned something about hiring for attitude. 
So there's a lot of folks out there right now that may be transitioning between work or uh, whether they're in the job field, whether they consider themselves in the career field and they know they're climbing a ladder that they believe in, uh, maybe they're in the calling field, but most are in the job or the career market. So if we were to say for them, what are the key things? You do so much work with companies. What are the key elements of attitude that are making some people more hireable than others? Yeah. So the first thing that I'm seeing with companies, they want to know, are you flexible? Do you have the ability that, hey, we said we were going to do X on Monday, but if it changes by Friday, are you still good? Can you flex with whatever is happening in the world? I think the second thing is to show up and say, you know what? I know you're hiring me to do this, but I'm multidimensional. I I was in South Africa uh, pre-pandemic. And I'm at a dinner and this guy's sitting next to me. His name is Trevor Sturdeman. I said, Trevor, what do you do? He said, I'm a slashy. I said, what's a slashy? He said, I'm a fashion designer slash. I'm a digital photographer slash. I'm a computer programmer slash. And he took me to his Instagram page and he has hundreds of thousands of followers. And I said, oh my goodness, being multidimensional is a slashy. That's what companies need right now. A person who finds their inner MacGyver and understands how to get it done. Be a slashing. <laughs> That's crazy because, okay, so historically, all right, are you a specialist or are you a jack of all trades? And I, I think a lot of folks were leaning in the specialist camp. Are you saying that maybe now that Swiss Army knife approach may be more valuable? The only way I've been able to survive 20 years as an entrepreneur is I've reinvented five times. Yes, Paul. Yes, yes, yes. Because I left Disney and I started in this lane speaking. But then a coaching opportunity opens and the book and then an online course. And if I just would have stayed in my lane, said, no, I'm good. I wouldn't have understood the power of being multidimensional still around my core gift. Let me give you an example. Reese Witherspoon, when we saw her in Legally Blonde 1, 2, we're like, oh my goodness, she's awesome. Her primary gift was acting. Reese went to Stanford. She was wicked smart. But she developed her secondary gift of being an entrepreneur and Hello Sunshine that she sold for almost a billion dollars. Multidimensional. She didn't get trapped in the lane of just being an actress. But in front of the camera, she said, how do I control everything behind the camera and get paid? So multidimensional. Mm. You said five reinventions for you. 20 years. Five. Five. Okay. Okay. All right. Oh, okay, brother. We're going to dive in here because I'm a playmaker. (laughs) Let's say I am kicking butt and taking names, right? And I'm killing it. In in our case, we were killing it as a speaker. Great. You're an accountant. You're killing it. You're a lawyer. You're killing it. You're a marketer. You're a salesman, whatever, but you're killing it. But right now you, you're really doing one thing. How do you know? Simon, for you, was it an intentional reinvention every time? Uh, I hate to use the word accidental, but talk to us about the process of how do you identify what to reinvent toward and were there signs? Was it gut? Like just take us back to one of those shifts. Number one, read the tea leaves. So in just less than a decade, we've moved from a point and click world to a touch and swipe world, to now a voice recognition contactless world. I saw that and I'm like, 
I want broadband results, but I'm using dial-up methods in my business. So example, friend of mine calls me one day and says, hey, if you're ever out here in Santa Barbara, I want to introduce you to my friend, Linda. I'm like, who's Linda? She said her and her husband started a company called Linda.com. I'm like, what's that? <laughs> not, on, not on my radar screen. She says, just meet Linda. I meet Linda and Linda starts telling me 20 years ago when YouTube started, they said, what if we uh, create snackable content that people can digest in three minutes or less? Hence, we created lynda.com. She says, you need to take your book and make your book micro content and put it on our platform. And I'm like, what? She, she could be talking a foreign language to me. And I said, okay, I trust my friend who introduced me to her. I'm going to go with it. Fast forwarding, I went on their platform. And the day I said yes, it was announced publicly in the paper that they had received a $100 million VC injection. And I said, oh my goodness, they're either going to go public or they're going to be acquired. Fast forwarding, they were acquired by LinkedIn Learning, by, by LinkedIn. LinkedIn was acquired by Microsoft. And because I said yes, eight years ago, in a world of no, everybody says, no, no, don't do it. I said yes. Three courses on their platform have reached 250,000 students in 100 countries. And all I did is I created it once and I said yes. And I have updated whenever they call me back. And now they direct deposit a check into my account every month. But if I would have never said yes, Paul, and like, no, I'm a speaker, I'm an author, I'm going to stand here at the back of the room and hawk my book, I would be looking at Oh my goodness, I missed an opportunity. So what I've discovered is when you say yes, you'll say yes to more things. Now, has everything worked out in 20 years? Absolutely not. There have been some bombs. I mean, total bombs. But guess what? If Thomas Edison didn't try 6,000 times, hello, hello, we wouldn't have light, right? So you got to say, you have to say sometimes no to protect your yes so when you see the right opportunity, you say, you know what? I'm going to go for it. Let's see what happens. And now to bring it all together, my way of synthesizing all of that is if your head is on board for that, yes. If your heart is on board for that, yes, then attack that green light. Attack it, man. Like that's it. That's at that. And also we talked about purpose earlier and, and, and Simon, look, I'm, I'm all about just, I win Monday. Like we want to win Monday here. Cause if we win Monday, we're more likely to win Tuesday and then Wednesday. And sometimes when we talk about purpose, it feels like this North star that's so distant and it's overwhelming. It's daunting. It's all these things. So what, what we've done here on playmakers, and this all comes back to what you just said is we don't start from a place of purpose. We start from a place of curiosity. And when you start curious, and you experiment, you eventually will find some areas of passion. And as you experiment and are curious within the spaces of passion, it's getting more streamlined now. By golly, there are some things in there where you can find some purpose totally. and some meaning and create some impact, you know? And so, but it's curiosity. Like, let's bring it down to the lowest common denominator. So if you are stuck and closed-minded, if Simon said, I'm only going to be a speaker, he lacks curiosity, he sleeps on this opportunity and bigger than the, the bank account, every other aspect, his happiness and fulfillment are probably in a different place as well, right? That's just how this all goes. A friend of mine gave me a t-shirt the other day and I, I wasn't even going to plan to do this, but it makes the point. Here's what the t-shirt says. That's it. That's it. 
Just, just, that's it. Take action. Take, for those on audio, the shirt says take action. That's it. Just that's get, it. get moving. Just do something. Here's where we're going to go with that as if you were wearing the shirt. So if I was to pick up, ignite the power of women in your life, and I say, what is the first action that I should take? Once I've read the book, you want me to take one action, what would that be? Go to all the women in your life and tell them what you appreciate and value about them and the difference they've made in your life. Send them a text, video, talk to them one-on-one. That's the first thing. Second thing, go to your mother or the person you consider your mother and, and just appreciate how tough they have been on you because it's made you a better person. Start there. And then finally, think about the women that you work with professionally. How can you come alongside and be an ally, give them a hand up, not a hand out? How can you champion whatever they are working on and give them confidence to believe in what they're doing? Yeah, so good. You shared the website of the book earlier, other ways to find you and follow you. Talk to our playmakers. How can we stay engaged far beyond this conversation? Yeah, SimonTBailey.com on social media, Simon T. Bailey. T for terrific. Just kidding. It was right there. It was right hey, there. You know, Simon, I'm from California. I'm going to say T for tubular. All right. I'm, I'm going to. <laughs> Yeah. And I haven't even served a day in my life. I have no idea why I just said that, but it felt fun and right. All right, my friend, before we cut out of here, one final question, piece of advice. Number one that you have either given or received. Talk to us. Best advice that I've ever received was from my late mentor, Dr. Miles Monroe. And he would often say, answer the four questions. Where have you been? Why are you here? What can you do? And where are you going? Whenever you lose your true north, come back to those questions. Where have I been? Why am I here? What can I do? Where am I going? Those are the questions that get you centered again from the inside out. And we all center around playmaking. On behalf of all playmakers, Simon, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for spending some time with us. My pleasure. Another episode in the books. You know the drill. If it added value to your life, subscribe, share, leave a review, and help grow our Playmaker community. For keynote speaking and why coaching, visit paulepsteinspeaks.com. And last call, if you haven't already, take your why discovery now. Pull out your phones and text the word why to 310-564-7857. Again, text the word why to 310 310- Five six four seven eight five seven. Playmakers is proudly produced by Detroit Podcast Studios. Until the next time, dominate the day on purpose.